0: Warning, the following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you.
1: I'm just going to say it. Junior's makes the best cheesecake. That was just the thing I needed before we settle into this show. It did hit the spot.
0: I'm really looking forward to this one. Classic musical comedy style in a new age
1: way. And it's the first time I've ever been to this particular theater. I kind of find it funny that the theater has its lobby in the lobby of the hotel. It's so New York. You can find anything here.
0: I really enjoy the beautiful lobby within a lobby structure. And the elevators are really complimentary to the area.
1: Well, let's go ahead and grab something to drink and head off to our seats. Lucky for us, we don't have many stairs to climb this time around.
0: Perfect. everyone, and welcome to Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez.
1: Today we are going to be discussing the musical, The Drowsy Chaperone.
0: So hurry and take your seats, it looks like the show is starting.
1: Hello everyone, and how are we doing today? We'd like to welcome you into today's performance of Stage Whisper. Today we are going to visit the Marquee Theater and the 2006 musical, The Drowsy Chaperone.
0: The hijinks and classic spoofs embodied in this work make this show an instant hit and be loved by audiences all over.
1: So, with that, let's be off on our adventure.
0: show has its origins up north in Canada. In 1997, Don McKellar, Lisa Maubert, and Greg Morrison, along with several other friends, created a spoof of old musicals for a stag party of Bob Martin and Janet Vandergrath. Bob Martin and Don McKellar would go on to write the book of the Drowsy Chaperone, and Lisa Lambert and Greg Morrison would write the music and lyrics.
1: After some reworking, The Drowsy Chaperone was presented at the Toronto Fringe Festival in 1998. It was a huge hit and moved to the Rivoli Theatre, where it would continue to play for eight years.
0: The next stop for the show was Broadway. It opened at the Marquee Theatre on May 1, 2006, where it would play 706 shows, including 32 previews, and finally closing on December 30, 2007.
1: The show featured some stellar names on the production team, including sets by David Gallo, costumes by Greg Barnes, hair by Josh Marquette, makeup by Justin M. Brosnan, lights by Ken Billington, and sound by Acme Sound Partners.
0: Casey Nicola was the director and choreographer of the show. This was the first time he'd held both titles for the same show. While it may have been the first, it was just the beginning.
1: The show would go on to be nominated for 13 Tony Awards in 2006 and would go on to win Best Book of a Musical, Best Original Score, Best Scenic Design, Best Costume Design, and Best Featured Actress in a Musical for Beth Lavelle.
0: So let's dive into the story itself. the spirit of the stage musicals from the jazz age of the 1920s a fan known only as man in the chair gives a spin to the original cast recordings of one of these musicals providing the audience with information about the play and the players
1: the show opens with a mousy agoraphobic broadway fanatic seeking to cure his non-specific sadness this man is never referred to by name and is only known as man in the chair He remembers how happy the old shows made him feel, so he begins to listen to a recording of the fictional 1928 musical comedy, The Drowsy Chaperone.
0: He listens to his rare recording, and the characters start to appear in his modest apartment. As more characters enter, the dingy apartment is transformed into an impressive, full-size Broadway set complete with fancy footlights, sparkling furniture, elaborate backdrops and luxurious costumes
1: as we are entering the world of the drowsy chaperone the man in the chair continues to provide us with commentary the characters cannot see him or hear him because he is on the audience side of the fourth wall as the story goes on we learn more about his life and where his blue feelings are coming from, such as a failed marriage and implied attraction to Percy Hyman, the actor who plays Robert the Bridegroom.
0: The drowsy chaperone starts off with the opening number, Fancy Dress, where the premise and the characters of the show are introduced. The show starts with a wedding of a predominant oil tycoon and a Broadway star. First, we meet Mrs. Tottendale, a sweet old lady who is hosting the wedding.
1: Underling, her butler and manservant, and his staff.
0: Robert, the bridegroom, and an oil
1: tycoon. George, the
0: anxious best man. Mr. Feldzig, the Broadway producer of the Follies, who is about to lose his leading lady.
1: Kitty! Mr. Feldzig's companion, who will stop at nothing to be a leading lady.
0: Some gangsters whose boss has vested interest in the Follies, and are posing as pastry chef's at the wedding.
1: Adolfo, self proclaiming king of romance, Lothario, and Pompous Windbag.
0: Janet Vandergraaff, the bride to be, leading member of Velzig's Follies, who is giving up her life on the stage for love.
1: The drowsy chaperone, a confident alcoholic woman of the world who is charged with accompanying Janet and makes sure that she is not alone with Robert. Until after the wedding. tricks The aviatrix.
0: Queen of the sky.
1: So, all the characters are revealed, the scene is set, and we go on with the show. The gangsters reveal to Feldzig that their boss wants to make sure that his show is a financial success. He believes this won't happen <clears throat> without Janet, so they tell Feldzig that he has to sabotage the wedding and keep Janet in show business. To do this... Feldzig enlists the easily manipulated Adolfo to seduce Janet and destroy her relationship with Robert.
0: While this is happening, Robert is in the groom's suite, and he realizes that he is nervous about the wedding. To get rid of his cold feats, he tap dances, and George, who is also nervous, joins in. Um, being the overthinker that he is, George notes that tap dancing is dangerous and could cause injuries, so he suggests that Robert go roller skating in the garden and that he better wear a blindfold so that he doesn't accidentally see Janet before the wedding.
1: By the pool, Janet tells reporters that she is beyond excited to be getting married and doesn't want to be an actress anymore while singing Show Off, of course. But of course, this number is anything but humble. In fact, it is a huge show-stopping number with not one, but two encores.
0: As can happen, while in the bridal suite, Janet is having doubts on whether or not Robert really loves her. So she asks the chaperone for advice. And of course the chaperone responds with her own rousing anthem to alcoholism as we stumble along. Man in the Chair explains that the original actress insisted on this number being included in the show. The chaperone tells Janet that she is feeling drowsy and must take a nap. Janet takes this opportunity to go find Robert and ask if he really loves her.
1: As Janet is leaving for the garden, Aldolfo enters and mistakes the chaperone for Janet. Happily, the chaperone indulges him as he seduces her in, I am Adolfo! Janet
0: meets the blindfolded, roller-skating groom in the garden and pretends to be a French woman named Mimi. She asks him how he met his bride, and he describes their first meeting in the number an accident waiting to happen. Carried away by his emotions, Robert kisses the girl named Mimi because she felt so much like Janet. Janet, of course, is furious and storms off because Robert had just kissed a strange French girl.
1: Kitty, hoping to take Janet's place in the Follies, tries to wow Mr. Feldsig with her mind-reading talents, but he is unimpressed. The gangsters confront Feldzig and threaten him with a murderous Toledo Surprise because he has not yet gotten the wedding canceled. Feldzig side acts them by insisting that they actually have singing and dancing talent and they turn Toledo Surprise into an upbeat dance number. Eldolfo
0: enters with the chaperone on his arm and announces that he has seduced the bride and that the wedding is canceled. Feldzig sets him straight and tells him that he has seduced the wrong woman janet enters and announces that she is canceling the wedding but robert protests in vain saying he only kissed mimi because she
1: reminded him of janet at this point the man in the chair announces that this is the end of the first act and the first record of the two records set he then proceeds to vamp in a monologue form while eating a candy bar because he has low blood sugar It should be noted there is no actual intermission for the real audience. That would be us. He puts on the next record, telling the audience that they can listen to the opening of the second act and excuses himself to the restroom.
0: While he's gone, a scene set in an ornate Eastern Asian palace appears on stage with characters in stereotypical Eastern Asian royal costumes. Think something kind of like the king and I. Um, the chaperone dressed as an English woman is in a hooped skirt dress and is singing with the king and the ensemble in Message from a Nightingale. We will spend time talking about the scene later on um, as it doesn't make much sense out of context, but we'll we'll go into details later.
1: The man in the chair hurriedly stops the record and explains to the audience that that was the wrong record. It was the musical The Enchanted Nightingale. He finds the right record and the drowsy chaperone continues.
0: A musical dream sequence surrounds Janet as she laments her lost romance and decides to return to the stage in Bride's Lament.
1: Mrs. Tottendale tells Underling that the wedding will proceed as planned because love is always lovely in the end. She reveals also during the song to Underling that she is in love with him. The chaperone announces that there will be a wedding after all because she and Adolfo are getting married, even though Adolfo protests. Mrs. Tottendale announces that she and Underling will also be getting married.
0: Robert tells Janet that he loves her and Man in the Chair announces that this is one of his favorite parts coming up. The chaperone gives Janet advice on what to do. As someone drops a cane, the chaperone says, while you can, leaving out the middle syllable of the word. Man in the Chair has an emotional monologue where he expresses his wonderment about the phrase. He asks if it says, live while you can, or leave while you can.
1: This prompts him to share a brief backstory about his unsuccessful marriage and about how you should never leave, only live.
0: The scene transforms back to Janet, where she admits that she was really the French girl and agrees to marry Robert to appease the gangsters. uh, Feldzig tells them that he has discovered a new star. Kitty! Ah, Go fancy that! He asks her to demonstrate her mind-reading talent, and when she reads his mind, she announces that Feldig is asking her to marry
1: him. Anxious, George is now the best man for all four weddings. It is at this point that he realizes he has failed at the, his most important task, finding a minister. Trix lands her plane in the garden, announcing she is about to depart for Rio. Because a captain on board a ship can perform marriages, this leads everyone to realize that Trix as a pilot can perform marriages. She then takes all of them to Rio for their honeymoons and marries them to the song, I Do, I Do in the Sky.
0: As the record is about to play the show's final chord, the power goes out in Man in the Chair's apartment and the superintendent arrives to check the circuit breakers.
1: The power returns and the final chord plays and the show is over. Alone again, Man in the Chair sadly expresses his deep love for a musical that he has never actually seen. He begins to sing As We Stumble Along, and the cast members, for the first time, acknowledge his presence. They join in and cheer him on while singing As We Stumble Along reprise. And that's the end of the show. There are several notable cast members in this show. As mentioned earlier, Beth Lavelle played the drowsy chaperone, Danny Bernstein was Adolfo, and Sutton Foster played the fabulous Janet Vandergraaf.
0: We would also like to mention a personal friend of ours who is in the show, Linda Griffin, who we've both had the honor of working with several times. She was in the ensemble
1: of the show. She's a wonderful, wonderful human being. Send up to her. Also, it's worth noting that Bob Martin, who not only helped develop the show, co-write the book, and also played the role of the man in the chair, is married to an improv comedian actress whose name is Janet Vandergraaf. Kind of uncanny how the show is about a show about the marriage between... Robert Martin and an actress named Janet Vandegraff. Kind of like art imitating life. <laughs> so let's now talk about this show, um, how the show's had an impact on the theater and its history. So the show features the fun and fame show within a show structure and I think that's just a lot of fun. You know, we there are shows out in the world that just tell uh, a lasting story which theater is. This is just clever, you know. Uh, we're watching someone watch something else. You know, it's that ultimate like spying on spying on like fly on the wall kind of thing. I think that's just fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's I mean, I really enjoy that it's like a clever take on a old kind of show, you know what I mean? Well, kind of
1: like musical style, you know? Yeah. It's, and... It reminds me a lot of um, like a musical version of um, not, 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 is it noises off what I'm thinking of? The backstage kind of show. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm kinda, talking about? Yeah. yeah. You, you know, where we get to see everything kind of behind the scenes
0: kind of yeah well and the nice thing is is you just get to see like I feel like this is like a love letter to anyone who loves musical theater because we all have those old shows that we just love and we love to comment on and when we share it with our friends we like to be like oh and did you know this and did you know that and so it's just I don't know I feel like it's a love letter
1: and it's totally it's watching that theater geek and all of us up on stage because during the entire show Like, he's living for every moment. In fact, when Janet Vandegraaff in in the top of Act 2 sings the song... Bride's uh, Lament. The Bride's Lament, and she sings about the monkey, and she has that breakdown. He's up there having the breakdown with her. Do I want da-da-da-da-da? No, 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 no. He's up there doing all the actions with her. Now, keep in mind, he's never seen the show, but he's literally doing the exact same movements. And I'm like, how many of us have never seen a certain show, and yet we're in our car, and we are like... I'm sure this is the choreography to Hamilton or something, you know, and people who might pull up on us are like, "Okay, what's going on there?" You know, I think that it's 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 kind of placed in a different time, but it's like no. If that's the case, we've been doing this for decades and decades. Yes,
0: exactly. Well, and another thing I love is that, you know, when the show played on Broadway, they actually poked fun that the Marquee Theater was built on top of an old Broadway theater, the uh, Morocco Theater, um, where a lot of landmark shows played.
1: And this is interesting because while we were doing research for the show, you actually found this. You mentioned this to me, and I've seen the show, and I was like, wait, I'm sorry, what? And you had to pull up the spot in the show where they mentioned this, and I went, how naive I was at the age of 16. I didn't even catch this being where I'm at now. I look back and I go, well played writers. Well played. (laughs) I also love how the music is so clever. And memorable. It sounds like an old vaudeville review, you know, with oh, yeah. clever and catchy songs, and everyone's got these so stylistic songs. Well, and songs. They're, they're
0: such, like, classic songs, at least the way that they sound, that, like, I like to bring them up in everyday life, and I forget that not everyone has listened to it, but I think that they're just standards that everyone knows, Well, it you sounds know? like,
1: you know, you don't even need to hear the words they neat. You can just hear the tunes, and you know exactly the character they're playing. You know uh-huh. this tango-sounding song that's going to be some Latin lover. Yeah, it's Adolfo. You hear this kind of like um, uh, a jazzy ragtime-esque song. You know those are the gangsters. You know uh, you hear this great, <laughs> boisterous song, and you know that's Janet Vandegrift. Like you, you can you can hear these different characters and the in the music that they play, and it's like this is brilliant that not only do the characters have a character but the songs themselves independent of the actors have a character well and
0: i think that that's why this show is so like this this that's i think the imprint that this show has made on theater is that it it harkens to an older age but then also kind of creates it as its own thing and um, because like stuff like this yeah it existed but also it didn't exist and so i don't know it's 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 weird that it's it's made its own thing. And I believe I just said it's way too many times. Ah, but, you know, here we are. <laughs> well, that leads to a good
1: point in regarding societal impact. It's a reminder of the good old days of classical musical comedy. And that's something that a, lot, a term a lot of people don't use. Before it was just musicals. It was musical comedy. And I think that's... When I hear that, I think back to the shows of, like, the 20s and 30s. And even well, into the 40s. And it it's sad. If you... If you Listen to The Drowsy Chaperone, it has the sound and the feel of a show from then. And if someone's like, well, actually, this is from 2006, you'd be like, really? Well, and I
0: think that it goes back to a time where, you know, musical reviews. I mean, a lot of people, I think, forget uh, musical theater's roots started in vaudeville, moved to musical reviews, and then they turned into the stories that we know it. So they were. Right. They never they, used
1: to be, we're going to tell you a whole story. Yeah, it was like little vignettes
0: of stories. All coming together, and right. so I just think that it's really it. I mean, it really is awesome how they were able to take that, but then also give it a lot of substance. You know, yeah, with the man he, in the exactly. chair. So he's
1: the he's the thing that connects it all and is able to tie in the loose ends, which again I love that. He's that he is us. He is you and I. That musical theater nerd. Mm-hmm. that's like I've never seen the show, but I can tell you everything about it.
0: Well, and I think so. Something that I really love about the show that I didn't even realize. Um, until doing the research for this episode, is that I am literally the man in the chair. The Drowsy Chaperone is one of my favorite shows, and all I've ever done is listen to the album.
1: You've never seen it. I've never seen it, but it yet yeah, you. I know it. About yeah, it. yeah. Um it it's, it's cre the the creators have created just another stellar show. That yeah, I played on a Broadway stage, but this is a perfect show for. Big or little stages. It's a great show for a community theater. You know, you can have eight or nine characters, uh, actors, and and they could just do it. This is a well, very accessible can, show. Yeah,
0: and the nice thing is, is especially if you have like a like in a smaller setting, you can just cast the featured roles and the the quote leading roles, and everyone gets to have fun with it.
1: Exactly, and and, and that's the key part. It's fun. The audience will connect. It's. I don't want to say it's not deep. Because that takes away from it, and that's not the case. But it's everyone can get something, else, something out of it. Everyone can connect to it. It's fun. Now, we did say we're going to talk about the top of Act 2. Yeah. And this is a really interesting point. I, I want to point out how this came about. So when we put together our scripts and get ready for a podcast, um, we, we, we write up a script. We do our research. We exchange emails and go back and forth. Um, and Hope actually brought this up to me. and She goes, So, in Act Two, there's this song, and it's the Nightingale song. Yeah, it's she, so yeah.
0: well. The thing to just kind of touch on that is I mean, the words are very kind of offensive, and yeah, I you, well, they're racist, they're, they're, they're racist. racist, and, and I you have asked been a part about where it came from. Yeah, because I've been a part of a lot of productions where we've tried to modernize it and make it so that it's not offensive. There's no such thing as like quote yellow face you know right. I, we're, we're trying to move past that so in she, our history so when i found this in there i was like wait this is 2006 and they were doing this oh my gosh andrew
1: what i didn't what so she asked me about it and in the synopsis we found they put that note at the end of the synopsis and i went oh wait, wait wait wait, wait. let me explain and with hope not having seen the show she didn't understand there is no intermission You actually sit through the whole thing. The intermission is the man in the chair eating a candy bar, referencing, I have low blood sugar, blah, blah, blah. This is a very clever, ahead of its time commentary on theater in that he puts the wrong album on. And I will say in seeing the show, there wasn't necessarily anything so offensive as to strike up protest. Nobody was yellow facing. Nobody was in that like doing cultural appropriation.
0: I mean, the costumes and the sets were, but that was uh, intentional. To, to,
1: yeah, it, it was. I will say, tastefully insulting for a reason, though. So he puts on this record. We start to see it, and you, as an audience, and seeing this, when people are laughing, we aren't laughing because we're like, ha ha ha, that's funny. You're laughing because you're like, I am uncomfortable. We took a hard left turn. What is happening? And then you see the man in the chair rush in. He strikes the needle from the record player. He's looking at us with this look of shock. And he. Um, we're laughing at, you know, oh, that's funny. He's got the pratfall face. And then he goes, I'm so sorry. That was a different time. And he's looking at the cast who ooh, are looking at him but not looking at him because they're, they're it, frozen
0: yeah well because the cast um you know it the cast who's in the drowsy chaperone is playing the parts of yeah this show
1: and then he looks back at us and goes i'm so sorry and the way he says it's from a different time he's acknowledging that you know back in the 30s and 40s they would do shows that today we just go like No, you could never get away with that. You know, I mean, even look further back to like minstrelsy and that—that was entertainment back then. We look now. The whole
0: twenties really was a renaissance in a lot of different ways because you did have this this push on things for like minstrelsy, and there was this obsessiveness with. Orientalism, which we could go into a whole topic just talking about Orientalism and why that word is now offensive and what we can do to be retroactive about it, but But there's not really a way you can be retroactive about it, so how do you
1: cope? At that time, it was entertainment, but now flash forward to today and we look at it and we go, that's not okay now, that wasn't okay then, it's never been okay, and the only place it's okay to talk about it really is education, to make sure we go, this is what it was, and... We aren't okay with it, you know? And so that's literally kind of what the man in the chair is saying when he's embarrassed about it. Um And he's kind of going, this is from a different time. I'm sorry.
0: Well, and it also takes you back to, like, like you as a person, if you're reliving something you used to love. Like, when I was a kid, I loved Pocahontas. That was one of my favorite Disney movies. And now as an adult, I watch it and I go, oh,
1: Yeah. Oh,
0: and so for me, it was kind of like, hey, you know, we've all learned and grown
1: from things in our life, so. So, and if they revise this show, uh, I don't know that that would necessarily be in it. I think they might have to do something different. But I thought at the time it was very tastefully done and it was smart comedy because you offended us right to the point where, like, we laughed because we were uncomfortable, but the key thing is we laughed. You can be offended and laugh and it be okay. It's when we're so offended that we don't laugh that it's like you went too hard on that.
0: Well, and something that Andrew and I talked a lot about, um, you know, when it comes to these kind of different stuff is like, is this something that should still be performed? And if this show was to be revamped, like, what is the significance of having that scene in there? And at first, my thoughts and opinions were that that was kind of a cheap shot to get a, a, a monetary laugh, you know. Um, but I kind of like it as a conversation starter, but I think that there's a way that it can be revamped to make it so that it's a, conversa- a conversation starter because if you don't talk about the elephant in the room, how do you get rid of it?
1: Well, and my big point saying is you, fo- you you can't just focus on the one scene. You have to look at it in the bigger picture. You can't focus on the one dot in the, in the pollock. Like you have to look at the painting as a whole. Right. And so when you see the scene as a whole, you go, okay, I see how that fits in. I'm not saying that it's right. I'm just saying you see the scene as a whole and you go, okay, if we just focus on the one scene, the one scene is wrong. The one scene in the through the whole scene, that one number in the whole scene, it totally makes sense. There's no intention to offend. It doesn't come from a place of hate or uh, maliciousness or anything.
0: Well, and something to also note for those of you who have only ever listened to the album and not seen a production of it the stopping of the the second record as it is happens you know it it happens abruptly but in the um album it almost is like it goes on a little longer than normal
1: it's (laughs) all i don't uh when i listen, listen back to the album this weekend they only get to like maybe the second verse i think it's when um uh danny bernstein uh, who plays adolfo says what is it about caucasians that fascinate the asians (laughs) that's the line that he like rips the needle off and that we all laugh at because look for whatever reason saying what is about the asians that fascinate caucasians that's not offensive apparently we just giggle at the rhyme but the minute you flip it around we were offended kind of thing That's when the the needle gets ripped off and you're like, what? (laughs) Um, So, yeah, you don't hear the whole song, but it's I think if it were to be redone, I would be interested to see what they do, because as I was saying, with a lot of works from the good old days, we'll say, you know, the classic golden era, some of the material does have to be adjusted and updated for the time. There are fantastic and amazing works that were created in the past. There's a few things about them, though, that they were right then. They're not so right now. And it just happens with time where, you know, we learn a little bit more and go, yeah, we were wrong about this then. And we have to adjust for that. So thank you for coming to our TED Talk. (laughs) Um, So the last thing I want to talk about, look, is, um, well, the second to last thing, I guess, is, is the show still relevant? And I'm not sure if it carries so much clout. For current broadway audiences although keep in mind that it's just slapstick fun and good time which we all could possibly use in this day and age but
0: But it is slapstick uh fun and a good time that has a good amount of substance underneath it
1: right and i think it's very relevant for like regional and high school and community theater um it's just a fun show to see as well and be a part of uh, it also makes for a great first-timer show because, you know, it's not your jukebox musical, which, I, look, those are great to get people into the theaters, you know. Everyone loves a good Jersey Boys or, oh, I don't know, Mamma Mia, you know. But to get someone to an original musical, this is kind of fun because, you know, the songs are fun, the story is fun, they're going to have a good time, and at the end of the day, it's like, hey, you came to some theater, you know now we can maybe take you to something else that's a little i don't want to say high art maybe a little something more serious you know that isn't produced by disney um and and that could be a little bit more challenging for them and, and that leads them into it
0: Finally, as promised, we wanted to share with you some of our own personal stories about experiencing this show.
1: I guess that's me. Um, I had the amazing fortune to get to see the show uh, with the original cast in 2006. It was the only time I've gotten to see the show, unfortunately. Um, But it was amazing. It was a high school trip, uh, like most of these have been. I saw the show. It was a matinee. It was my first Broadway matinee. Um, first time I was in the, um, marquee theater. And I remember everything about the theater. I remember the set. I remember the big number of show off. It was incredible. And afterwards I remember going to the stage door over on 46th street, 47th street, excuse me. Um, and getting the cast autograph. Now, little 16-year-old me didn't realize that I was meeting such great people like Danny Burstein. Um, but I do remember Sutton Foster coming out, got her autograph, Cool Beans, and I just remember mainly it was just fun. Like, we left that show, and it was just fun. And hand to God, and I'll own my ignorance, I honestly thought that that show won the Tony Award for Best Musical that year. That's how much fun I had. I didn't realize that Jersey Boys was the show that won, (laughs) you know, but I, I had such a good time. So as things begin to return to normal and the theater world starts to turn its lights back on, we look forward to getting to see this show again.
0: Hopefully, you'll be able to catch the drowsy chaperone at a local theater near you soon.
1: So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez.
0: And I'm Hope Bird. Reminding you
1: to turn off your cell phones.
0: Unwrap your candies.
1: And keep talking about the theater.
0: In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe.
1: You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at StageWhisperPod.
0: And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at
1: gmail.com. Our theme song is Music for Wildlife by Fox. Other music on this episode provided by Kevin McLeod, The Good Lods, U.S. Army Blues, Jesse Spill Lane, and Billy Murray.